So the last thing that I made with my butcher box shipment was aloo chicken, and it turned out really well. One of my favorite things is to get the shipment and then open up the New York Times cooking app and see what I want to create over the next few weeks. It helps my creative cooking chops, and both my wife and I really enjoy it. ButcherBox offers a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing price, plus they have exclusive member deals, and they also have their own recipes, although I am preferential to the New York Times app, but that's just me. And you can sign up today at butcherbox.com slash conspirituality and get their special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. So for that year, you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash conspirituality and use code conspirituality to choose your free for a year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Spending way too much time on social media? Derek here from Conspirituality, and you might be able to break the cycle of doom scrolling on Elon Musk's haunted Twitter by tuning into the Crooked Media podcast offline with John Favreau. I have been a Crooked Media fan since the company was founded, and I'm really excited to be talking about offline because it's a different kind of Sunday show. It's a chance to step outside our social media-fueled news cycles and hear smarter, lighter conversations about how chronically online existence shapes the way that we live, work, and interact with the world around us. Each week, John Favreau is joined by notable guests like Stephen Colbert, Hassan Piker, ContraPoints, Margaret Atwood, what? All for intimate conversations about how to live happier, healthier lives, both on and offline. New episodes of Offline with John Favreau drop every Sunday wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody. I'm Matthew Remsky with a conspirituality podcast brief called RFK Jr. Flirts with Body Fascism with special return guest, friend of the pod, historian of American fitness culture, Natalia Petrozella, who will help me shed light on a new development in RFK Jr.'s campaign to disrupt the Democratic Party. Yes, we'll be talking about his recent workout campaign videos and political messaging from the benches of Gold's Gym in Venice Beach. And as I posted to Twitter, the themes he's now made explicit belong to a long tradition of what we call body fascism. And I'll be asking Natalia about those roots and also how they've been laundered and normalized down through the decades. One bit of housekeeping before we dive in, our book is out 
As you know, it's available wherever you get books. It's called Conspirituality, How New Age Conspiracy Theories Became a Health Threat. If you're reading it already, we have a humble request that you review it honestly on Amazon or Goodreads to help communicate its value because the book has predictably entered the information war battleground where people who obviously haven't read it are trying to tank it with one-star rants. So you don't have to do something this involved, uh, but I will read you this endorsement from Stacey Stukin, a journalist and friend of the pod and expert in all things Guru Jagat. She says, over the last several years, as we doom scrolled social media, watching the weird unraveling of the wellness community into a conspiratorial freakout, the Conspirituality Podcast's deep dive analysis was a salve. In their book, they go a step further, providing important context and histories, positing maybe the Great Awakening was realizing these beliefs were lurking beneath the surface all along. So thank you, Stacy And Dr. Petrozella, welcome back to Conspirituality. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm so glad to be here and congrats on the book. It's so exciting to see this all come together this way. I've been happy to see the warm reception of your own book, Fit Nation, uh, in conferences. And also, it looks like you're doing uh, launches in very brainy fitness venues, maybe with classes uh, alongside the launches um, all over. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've been fortunate to be invited to lots of different kinds of places. So yeah, I'm hitting like everything from academic conferences to Dr. Phil to like workout plus conversation. So you invite me and you, you know, want to engage with fitness history, I am happy to make a customized experience. Well, today, I can't really think of anyone better to talk to about the emergence of Bobby Muscles on the campaign trail. Um, but we can set the stage a little. Um, I mentioned that uh, RFK Jr. released personal workout videos to Twitter. But they're not just personal. They're also laden with history and meaning. And maybe we can begin with a setting, which is Gold's Gym in Venice, California. This is an iconic site, right? Oh, absolutely. It's known as the Mecca of bodybuilding. I actually was just there the last time I was in Los Angeles. And if you can picture it, it's this big cavernous gym full of like squat racks and pictures of bodybuilding competitors cover the walls. It has a big outdoor gym in the back and the front. So very California in that way. But yeah, it is um, iconic, a word I usually don't use, but um, it was opened in 1965. So really was a key site at the beginning of like that bodybuilding culture that gave us pumping iron. And it's really retained that status. You know, I only saw the patio pictures, but I got the sense that it hasn't been updated, renovated. It's not a swish place. It has its 60s, 70s vibe still to it. And that's the point in a lot of ways. Like, you know, getting right to our topic at hand, it's no accident that RFK Jr. didn't film himself at like a fancy Equinox or a Planet Fitness or a God forbid Soul Cycle. Like Gold's Gym with that kind of like old fashioned equipment focused on weightlifting is, I think, in 2023, very consonant with the kind of agro masculine that he's trying to cultivate. I do I am I do want to jump back to like why that's very much a contemporary association but yeah let's let's stick with that for a second. Yeah, let's let's get to it. Um but I mean it goes along with pounding out 
push-ups shirtless, but also in his Wranglers. Derek tells me that this is not that unusual for California, that he sees a lot of guys coming in in, in work clothes and taking off their shirts and pumping iron on the patio. But this is also sort of like a historical throwback too, don't you think? Yeah, I think like on the one hand, like Gold's is kind of a special place where you do see like guys walking in and work gear to pound out a few sets. And I think that's like part of what, um, you know, part of the appeal that like this isn't some like, you know, girly man in like fancy leggings. This is like a guy who's wearing jeans and is just coming to like, you know, pound out a few sets, not like do a dance aerobics class or something like that. There's this trope of the so-called mammal, the middle-aged man in like which is very much not what he's trying to cultivate there. And so I think that's really important. It also reminded me as a historian of fitness so much of this spread that Ronald Reagan did when he was president about exercise, where he both showed himself like working out on a Nautilus machine, which is like a weightlifting machine in a gym, which was like very new for a president to do that. Um, And he showed himself in the same spread in jeans and a shirt, but chopping wood. And he actually, you know, he makes a joke about how it's like pumping, um, like pumping firewood or something like that. And I think he wanted to say like, look, I'm still like Teddy Roosevelt. I've got that rugged masculinity and that strenuous life. I'm not some like man in an air conditioned high tech gym. And I think you see a lot of those themes still manifesting in like RFK self-presentation. Well, Another sort of intergenerational point comes up with his comment that he makes, which is half tongue in cheek in the Twitter thread that he's training for his debate with Biden, who's older. Uh, And this is a debate, of course, that so far the DNC has said is not happening. Are there precedents in U.S. presidential campaign history for this kind of pissing contest stuff? I mean, you know, I would really have to think about that one. And I feel like if there were such overt exercise challenges, I probably would know about it by now. But it does remind me, I mean, the most immediate thing that some others have brought up was like, you know, Joe Biden was getting questions in 2019 at some campaign event. And this guy says, like, aren't you too old to run? And he's like, you want to do a push-up contest right now? And, you know, so there's like a little bit of that of like, I'll show you um, uh, that I'm presidentially fit. Um, But you know, in some ways it evokes a much longer tradition that we thought it think of as long gone, like Hamilton and Burr, like showing their masculine honor by having a duel. Even 1856 on the um, Congress floor, you have this famous caning event where Preston Brooks, who's pro-slavery, like beats the hell out of Charles Sumner over this sectionalism argument about slavery. So this idea of like a physical battle to work out political, you know, beef between men, of course, um, is not so new, but I'm actually not sure if there's ever been anything so overt about like working out and a presidential contest, but perhaps the listener will enlighten us. Well, maybe, but I do think it is sort of like a, a storm of perfect circumstances. What with, I mean, we have Joe Rogan hosting him. Uh, we also have, you know, his entire sort of wellness contingent that he's carrying forward into the political sphere now. So um, this would be the moment for it. But on a more serious note, the keynote statement from uh, Bobby is that, quote, this is in the, the Twitter thread, as president, I will restore America as the global example of health and well-being, not through pills or syringes, but through character and self-discipline. And I will continue to walk the walk and lead by example. 
there is a lot going on in that statement, but what jumps out at you? Well, the first thing as a historian is the echoes of JFK, right? So like fitness aside, like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is really trading on his name, right? This is like the American political dynasty. Now, what a lot of people seem to forget is that JFK, a big part of his kind of public presentation was his promotion of physical fitness. Like he was the guy who, as president-elect, wrote an article in Sports Illustrated called The Soft American about the importance of exercise as a way to make America viable in the Cold War and to kind of get away from the softness that leisure had created through exercise. He was this huge booster of exercise, promoting physical fitness. If anyone remembers the presidential fitness challenge that started with him. So I think he's very much evoking that, that kind of like physical fitness as civic virtue that is, you know, his JFK was not the first one to promote that, but was a very important voice. But on the other hand, I think it is so sad and disturbing the way that he wraps up the promotion of exercise, which, you know, is, I think, like a pretty good thing. Most people would say we should probably move more as a country, not only with that moralizing civic message, but also with this, like, you know, um, dismissal entirely and condemnation of medical intervention. Like this idea that it's without pills and syringes, um, but purely through the sweat of the brow, we will restore our national superiority. That is really, really disturbing and meaningfully quite at odds with JFK. Like JFK was a booster of vaccines. JFK himself dealt with severe health issues and had a lot of uh, you know pills that, and syringes that he was using himself and was very fit. So I think that that is a really important kind of like mix of uh, historical precedents that are coming through there. Right. Now, it's an amazing sort of track to follow from JFK to the present. I do want to note, though, that Jack's own views on healthcare uh, were of the time and, you know, not always the most enlightened. I, I just wanted to play this for you here because I found him talking about the tragedy of uh, chubby children. There is nothing, uh, I think, uh, more unfortunate than to have uh, soft, chubby, fat-looking children who go to uh, watch uh, their school play basketball every Saturday and regard that as their week's exercise. I hope that all of you will join and everybody in the United States to make sure that our children participate fully in a vigorous and adventurous life, which is possible for them in this very rich country of ours. So there he is. Yeah, Viga, as a Massachusetts native myself, that accent really takes me back. No, I'm so glad you played that because I occupy this really weird place, like knowing this rhetoric very deeply of like both, hey, remember when at least like the federal government pretended that the state should have a responsibility for getting kids to exercise? And, you know, that's what I say to some people. But then there's this whole other world of like kind of golden age thinkers that think JFK had the best plan ever for fitness. And I'm like those fitness plans were first of all total cold war total cold warrior like propaganda and also were like the most fat shaming traumatizing thing out there the theme song was called go you chicken fat go you should play that in here it's a it's an amazing song it'll never get out of your head oh my i've never heard it this was a this is something that was like a nationally broadcast known jingle oh yeah so one of the things so okay a little like taking a step back so eisenhower was the one who who founded the president 
presidential council on youth fitness. And Eisenhower, having been a general, was like very militaristic, like really sort of punishing, not fun at all. JFK comes in. He takes over that committee as president. He drops the youth and is like, this is presidential council on fitness for everybody. And he also makes it such that like fitness is fun. And so he's doing all these photo shoots and one, and he has all these like celebrity boosters. And one of the things that he does is he hires this songwriter to create this jingle called Go You Chicken Fat Go. And it's distributed all over the country to different, um, to different uh, PE classes. There's like, if you look it up on YouTube, there's like a seven minute, like extended version that's actually tells you how to do all the exercises. So, um, Oh, you sing the song while doing the chicken fat exercises. Oh yeah, they count you down. Go, you chicken fat, go away. And then they're like, girls, get in there too. One to the right, two to the right. Like it's very, um, it's like a military marching thing, but fun. Like my students have a good time of it. Um, I don't make them do the exercises, don't worry. <laughs> but as a historical source, but I say that why? Oh yeah, I say that because yes, absolutely that clip and all of it, the soft American was, he equated flabbiness of the body with flabbiness of morality, of intellect, of civic commitment, all of that. So, you know, I would take JFK over RFK Jr., but I'm like not exactly a propagandist for his version of physical fitness. Well, it goes along with why I reached out to you immediately after seeing these posts, because after I published my own thread about some of the antecedents of strongman leadership that intersect with, you know, the anti-science back to nature values of early physical culture coming out of, you know, the 1920s in in Europe and how those influences in turn were very important in fascist ideology. I got a lot of pushback, uh, but I mean, what do you think? Is that an overreach? I don't think it's an overreach because we know that different fascist governments have made kind of mass exercise and um, cultivation of the body and that kind of internal self-discipline core to their political project. And let it be said that one of the reasons that um, JFK's physical fitness thing never really took off is because all of these people said, this is what fascist governments do. This is what communists do. This is totalitarian. We don't want all these American children marching in lockstep together. Like that's not American. It's not individualistic. It's veering into sort of like group collective ideology. So that's an interesting thing in the book. Listeners read my book too, Fit Nation. But um, so that I think is super interesting. And that's always been a reason uh, paradoxically that like state funded fitness hasn't really gotten a foothold in the United States. Now, um, I think though that you're right that even here in the United States, when you see the kind of strong men and women, especially in the early 20th century, who are promoting strength training and fitness at a time when it's really very strange. Like that is not when everyone agreed, oh, you should go to the gym every day. If you did go to the gym every day, you were considered a weirdo. And one of the ways that these promoters actually advance it is with these really noxious ideas. Like this is, if you want to like, if you want the white race to survive and us to have more babies than all of these immigrants coming in or these now freed slaves, we need strong bodies and we need to reproduce. That's why you need to exercise. And they're very careful also at a time when the white collar service economy is expanding, where a lot of white people are working to say like, we're not encouraging you to do brute physical labor. We are very different from mere breakers of stones, like not like these louts. This is about cultivated self discipline and strength 
strength training in an intelligent way. And that is very much tied up with this kind of um, racial superiority narrative. And so I think, yeah, there's like the state fascist project, which is kind of there. And there's that sort of like individual racial project. But all of this to say is that people and systems make meaning of exercise in different ways over the years. So I don't think it's only that, right? So, I mean, I, I'm sensitive on this because I've it talked about this before and I ended up inspiring this like major right-wing troll army, including Donald Trump Jr. telling me that like, I think exercise is racist and I'm trying to get Americans not to exercise anymore. And I'm like, uh, not really. Uh, there, there are many, many ways of reducing analysis to garbage like that. And I, I, I'm sorry that you weathered that. Now, yeah. the other thing that's going on with RFK Jr.'s display is that there's an element of the self-made, or I would say the self-saved man here, in that his exercise habits are implicitly, although he said, I think, some explicit things that that link his habits to his own story of overcoming substance abuse. Now, I'm wondering if this is another sort of strong keynote in the history of American fitness. I've always said that America, that exercise gets such a hold in the United States and we become this like exporter of commercial fitness culture because it coheres so well with these longstanding American ideologies of bootstrapping and individualism and kind of self-fashioning, right? Like we believe all those things about wealth and success and happiness, but where can you really see it? Where's the perfect test case for having total control over your destiny, your own body, right? right? And so I think that absolutely there's that. I also think the salvation piece as our discourse about exercise has become more and more moralizing. This notion that I've saved myself through exercise, um, you know, also has really powerful uh, roots on both the right and the left, honestly. Like you hear fundamental Christians talking about the self-discipline of a daily exercise. There there are um, concerns conservative Christian campuses where you need to commit to an exercise regime in order to stay enrolled there because it's connected to kind of bodily self-discipline. Very similar. You see people on the left who've been, you know, really disenchanted with the medical establishment being told they don't know their bodies, seeing exercise and yoga and, you know, different forms of physical activity as really self-determination. So I think that that's really important. What really, and and I I also don't want to diminish the very real stories that people have of exercise being transformative in their life, whether it's getting them out of addiction, alcoholism, building confidence, et cetera. So I believe it. I'm not saying that's BS. What really worries me though about the way RFK frames that is it is like, to the exclusion of all sorts of other interventions, which we also know are just as, if not more important. Like nothing, even as an exercise booster myself, makes me more uncomfortable than people saying like, oh, well, I started running every day, so now I don't go to therapy. Or like, now I'm gonna like, you know, now I don't believe in vaccines. Like, and that's exactly the kind of package that he's selling. That might be reflective of his 40 years now in 12 steps programs where the model is Mm -hmm. abstinence or self-reliance purely. I mean, there's sponsors. So, you know, I I suppose in the Gold's Gym context, that would be your spotter, right? Who is there to help Mm -hmm. and encourage you and you're with a community, but there's no sense that, that you're going to favor a harm reduction policy that actually mixes the things that you're sort of using as therapy. Uh, You're really, you're really going to rely upon one thing and that's yourself. That's your body. 
Yeah, no, I think that that's right. And I think that one of the things which is, you know, kind of troubling is that we are in this good place where pretty much everyone agrees exercise is good for you. And I think that's really a good thing. But what I see RFK engaging in here is what I've come to think of as like sweat washing, which is using this kind of uncritical celebration of exercise to package a whole bunch of really troubling behavior, of really troubling attitudes about everything that you're saying, total self-reliance, no harm reduction, anti-medical intervention, anti-vaccine, et cetera. And so that I think is really um, something that we should really think about. Well, I think this maybe brings us back to the contrast between JFK and RFK Jr. and their policy differences. Uh, I mean, we have this great series of pro-social projects that even if they're not very enlightened in terms of body positivity or, you know, how, uh, you know, children are going to feel about, about doing the chicken fat song, um, his goals, JFK's goals for, um, even pressing towards universal healthcare are very different from RFK Jr.'s medical libertarianism. And so what do you make of that shift? Like, can he call himself a Kennedy Democrat and basically spend a career denigrating or, or pushing back against the, the advances of public health? I don't think so. I think that's really insincere and ahistorical. I mean, exactly as you're saying, like if we start with the phys ed piece that that we were discussing here, I mean, that never got the infrastructural uh, roots that it needed, but that was about a public commitment to having access to fitness and recreation for children and for adults, like at the public level, community, not just federal, but also local and state. JFK obviously came before Lyndon Johnson and the Great Society program, but he was part of that sense that we need to expand government to provide basic needs for, um, to meet the basic needs of all Americans. This is not the kind of libertarianism that he's talking about. And in a moment when polio had just ravaged the United States, he is out there promoting vaccination for polio, which is the number one kind of vaccine issue at that time. And like I said, in terms of personal example, yes, he's like playing touch football in Kennebunkport and like has his own, um, not Kennebunkport, in Hyannisport and has his own kind of, you know, personal fitness regime, which is disconnected from any kind of public, um, from any kind of public investment. But he is somebody who is also, you know, not at all a critic of uh, medical intervention and actually relied on it, as I said himself. Switching gears a little bit, one of the ugly aspects of this flexing is that it has provoked a tsunami of body shaming. So my Twitter feed, I don't know about yours, but it's full of memes mocking Dr. Peter Hotez, mocking Bill Gates. Um, Hotez is the, the vaccine expert who RFK Jr. invited to debate on Joe Rogan, and he's mocked for being fat, unfashionable, um, and being allegedly disinterested in his own personal health. I don't know how that's ascertained. But what can we learn from this discourse about, you know, demeaning stereotypes as applied to the bodies of liberals? Um, I think that we can learn that everybody online is a total jerk when it comes <laughs> to um, looking at people's bodies and that that is the lowest hanging fruit. And so people go for it, you know, without question. And I mean, let's just start with RFK Jr. 
most of the analysis of that was not at the level of what you and I are talking about. Most of it is like, he actually looks disgusting. His reps are like, no, he's no full extension there. And like, yes, well, I get that. It reminds me of like when people would share those memes, like zooming in on Trump's butt of like, look at that ugly fat ass. I'm like, this is not the worst problem. You know what I mean? Like, you know, this is not like where we should be channeling our energy. This degrades all of us. But um, yes, to your more elevated point about the criticism that Hotel is getting. I mean, absolutely, this fits into a kind of, you know, dichotomy between the bookish liberal who doesn't care about his body, is only in his head, um, is effeminate and doesn't have any of that kind of like masculine brawn or vigor is paunchy versus like the true man, right? You know, RFK Jr. is kind of like ruddy and he's there shirtless and he's like lifting heavy stuff, not just like books from the library. And so I think that that very much plays into that, um, into that distinction. What is so interesting though, sorry to keep bringing us back to history and like the Gold's Gym site is so um, relevant for this is that when JFK was promoting all this fitness stuff, the reason that people mocked him was like, oh, you want us to be like some ditzy muscle beach bodybuilder? Like you think all you think that American kids should spend time like building bulging muscles so they can pose like these like weird sissy men on in Venice Beach. And and he was like, no, 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 no. I'm talking about military calisthenics and not that at all. And like he was mocked. There's a picture I have in my book someone made like kind of it was like a backhanded compliment, but it's JFK in a bodybuilder pose. And it says like Mr. America. And that because he was always knocked for that because that kind of showboating, keep in mind bodybuilding, which is about how you look, not weightlifting, which is about how much you can lift, right? But that all of that was seen as like so low class and so, um, you know, just like distasteful to everybody. And so I think it's really interesting that by now we've like moved away from a lot of those associations and Gold's Gym can be the place to kind of peacock a very like brawny, macho, hetero masculinity when it was not that before at all. Even during the, you know, it wasn't open in the Kennedy uh, era, but Muscle Beach right there was. What a wild transformation. Um, And speaking about how much you can lift versus what you look like, there has been speculation just through those pictures and videos about whether RFK Jr. is using gear, uh, whether it's steroids or testosterone replacement therapy. Now, of course, we can't know. I don't really care. Uh, It's been interesting to watch critics and followers bat this one around because critics will say he's a hypocrite for running against Big Pharma while allegedly juicing. But followers don't see any hypocrisy. What do you think this skirmish tells us about the types of pharma-based therapies that RFK Jr.'s portion of wellness culture is open to? You know, I don't really fully understand the rights argument that there's no hypocrisy there. I mean, is there a coherent argument or they're just saying no? There was a Twitter thread from a tech guru, I forget his name, who talked about how, what's the problem with this form of optimization? Let's say that he's using steroids. Mm -hmm. Why not? Why not figure out what works best so that we can actually all look exactly the way we want to? Right. Like the kind of biohacking argument for just using your body as a kind of laboratory. And that's very appealing, obviously, to a certain kind of Silicon Valley bro. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So I would say, well, you know, I think that part of it is like, you know, probably the 
stronger legs that RFK has to stand on are the ones that are anti-mandate as opposed to like anti the medicine itself. And he hasn't actually been so loud about vaccines recently on, on the on the um, trail, right, about the vaccine damage itself, because I think he doesn't want to be tarred as a kind of anti-vax loony, um, even though there's a demographic that is like very enthusiastic about that. So I wonder if like part of that is like, well, we're... Uh, I don't know. It's really hard to square. I think maybe part of it is also like that he's really locked into this idea that medicine, especially maybe, um, you know, mental health interventions are about like a kind of laziness and an inability to solve your own problems through will, through hard work, through discipline and determination. Using steroids like that, they're not going to do anything on their own, right? That's about enhancing someone who's theoretically already kind of doing the work of exercise. So it doesn't fly in the face in the same way that, you know, he might be against taking antidepressants or anti-anxiety meds, which I think some people of that medical libertarianism perspective, um, they think that that's like a cop-out on like doing the actual work of character development and all the rest. So I think that might have something to do with it. But I don't think there's a very strong argument for saying that there's not hypocrisy there. If you're against big pharma, like these are, um, this is part of that. Well, except from the angle maybe of health choice advocates. So I suppose if he could make the argument that, you know, the gear that I'm taking is uh, has been evidence-based, you know, tested for safety and for results and so on, then that satisfies the same things that I'm asking, you know, childhood vaccines to go through, which of course can't happen in uh, in an ethical way. Well, that's where I think the mandate question comes in too, right? Like if this is something you're doing by your own free will and taking these, um, you know, uh, growth hormones or, or steroids, like that's very different from having to go to school. You can't go to school unless you have this vaccine, these vaccine requirements um, satisfied. So I think maybe that that coheres with that too. But I that piece of it, I'm like, you know, it's a developing story. I don't have like my, my take on it quite yet. It is. I can't imagine him also having the... The pragmatic approach of this makes for good media. This makes for good PR. Uh, he is very mm-hmm. strong on, you know, I've mastered the podcast medium, just like JFK mastered television and kicked, you know, Richard Nixon's ass. And if this helps me in this new media landscape to get my message out, then why wouldn't I do it? Especially if I'm making the choice. No, I think that that's right. And especially in the, in the space, in the podcast world where he is, Joe Rogan, Jordan Peter saying like, these are guys who are, if not openly um, championing, definitely not criticizing the use of some of these like supplements and performance enhancing drugs, and who are also very into the kind of like brawn building that he's putting, that he's showcasing there. I mean, I'm like, I'm just waiting for like an MMA uh, video or something of him to come out because I feel like that's sort of the next frontier. Like actually the gold thing is like a little bit old school. Like to me, that was like a shout out to like the Kent, the like people who remember, you know, like the seventies and the sixties and stuff. But I would say like MMA is the next frontier. If he's really going to learn into this fitness as like a form of political uh, macho. <laughs> Zooming out and back onto policy to finish. Um, it really seems that 
Bobby's gambit here is a kind of peak expression of the American paradoxes in healthcare. Like, first of all, you know, there's a rejection of pharmaceutical interventions, as we've said. There's a criticism of, of agency capture. Then there's the promotion of a universalist message of personal health responsibility. But we're going to stay away from universal health care uh, as a topic of conversation while we claim that the free market will solve all problems. Is there any way that any of that can make sense together? Oh, yes. I mean, exactly what you guys on Conspirituality <laughs> are so good at highlighting. Like, I think that all of those, those sort of like diverse ideas really converge in this kind of conspiracist mindset where you are just one is inherently skeptical of big organizations, of institutions, of the government telling you to do things or even telling you that they've got you taken care of, right? Um, and that really the power and the responsibility and almost the privilege is resides in individuals to take control of their own health. And they're either lazy or a dupe if they're going to rely on a pill or a policy to fix their problems. And I think that, you know, I've learned so much listening to you guys and reading you guys about the specific ways that that's manifesting. And some individuals I've like never heard of some of these people you pull out off of Instagram, but have like millions of followers. But then in someone like this, who obviously I've heard of, I think it's so interesting to see the way he's really amplifying and sadly kind of legitimizing by making it now something people are seeing on CNN and on all of these big media, that kind of um, conspiracist mindset that brings together these diverse strands. Natalia, we'll leave it there, but thank you so much for all of your insight and all of your support over these last three years. And um, I think it feels like it feels like the conversation that we began a long time ago is now manifesting into something uh, more sort of, um, I don't know. I mean, for you, it's for you, it's always been about policy and, you know, political events. For us, I feel like we have moved from looking at a str the strange things happening in a subculture that kind of got accelerated during the pandemic into, you know, impacts on the Democratic primaries. Mm -hmm. It's like it's like the book has manifested something uh, and uh, you've and not in a good way. But uh, I'm really grateful that you've been around to uh, help us understand it all. Oh, likewise. I think we're all doing our best to understand it and maybe even affect some change, which would be a good thing. Thank you, Natalia. Thank you. Bye. Touchdown every morning, ten times, not just now and then. Give that chicken fat back to the chicken and don't be chicken again. No, don't be chicken again. Push up every morning, ten times push up, starting low, once more on the rise, nuts to the flabby guys, go you chicken fat, go away, go you chicken fat, go. Good morning, hands on hips, please. 